Welcome to Capital Link's corporate presentation webinar series. In this series, senior management of listed shipping companies provide an update on their operations, business development strategy, and sector outlook. I'm Nicholas Bornolis, president of Capital Link. Capital Link is an investor relations firm also active in event and conference organization. We work with several private and publicly listed shipping companies, including companies featured in this webinar series. As noted in our disclaimer, these presentations are purely for informational and educational purposes. They do not constitute investment advice or advice of any kind, and Capital Link bears no responsibility for them. Today, we kick off our series with Starbucks. We have with us the senior management of Starbucks. We have Mr. Hamish uh, Norton, president. We have Mr. Simo Spiru, co-CFO, Mr. Uh, Christos Bergleris, co-CFO, Mr. Kostandinos Nanopoulos, deputy CFO, and Mr. Kostandinos Chimantiras, who is the deputy chief investment officer and head of market research. Our session today will be 45 minutes. Uh, we will start with the presentation, followed by a live Q&A session. Please submit your questions through the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. Please include your name and company affiliation when you submit a question. Alternatively, you can email your questions to us at webinars at capitallink.com. Again, thank you very much to all of you for joining, and I'm turning it over to uh, Mr. Hamish Norton. Hi, good morning. Uh, and uh, now uh, we have a brief corporate presentation we'd like to go through. Um, uh, Eleni, if you can put that up on the screen, thank you very much. And let's let's flip to uh, the first slide with uh, text. Yeah, so that's our forward-looking statement uh, disclosure. You can read that at your leisure. It's on our website. Next slide. Okay, so key investment highlights uh, for Star. We're the largest, most liquid US listed dry bulk company. We have a fleet of 128 high quality vessels uh, with an average age of about 9.9 .9 years. We have very significant leverage to strong dry bulk market fundamentals. Uh, you know, basically, we've got 46,000 ownership days a little more than that, which means that every $1,000 a day is another $47 million to our bottom line. Um, and uh, today, we've got a very strong balance sheet that supports our uh, you know, very important dividend policy. We've got total cash as of the end of the year of $474 million with a very limited CapEx requirement. Uh, we've reduced debt 35% in the last two years. And in the last 12 months, we've paid out $2.25 per share in dividends through a, a very transparent, if slightly complex, dividend policy. Uh, we're highly levered, as I said, to strong market tailwinds. Um, the, the industry has the best supply side dynamics in decades with very slow fleet growth and the anticipated impact of environmental regulations on that fleet. Um, the current rates are uh, sustained by port congestion, fleet inefficiencies, and you know, quite rapidly recovering demand. 
and uh, GDP forecasts imply continued demand for seaborne dry bulk trade. Uh, and also, I want to point out that 120 of our 128 ships have uh, exhaust gas cleaning systems called scrubbers that allow us to use substantially less expensive high sulfur fuel and, and save a lot of money. Uh, Eleni, if you could go to the next slide. So uh, as, as I've said, we've got the largest fleet in the industry with uh, significant operating leverage, 128 vessels. Uh, it's a diverse fleet, which means we've got exposure to all cargo types and trade routes. Um, and it's, as this slide says, 46,700 ownership days in 2022, uh, split up, as you can see at the bottom, uh, by dead weight. You know, by dead weight, a, a small majority of our ships are Newcastle Max and Cape size. Um, uh, you know, next comes Panamax and Campser Max, and then Ultramax. The the number of ships in each category is is much more close to equal than the dead weight weighted breakdown would would indicate. So it really is a fully diversified fleet. Um, next slide, Eleni. So, um, you know, what this slide shows is our market cap uh, in the uh, dark line and uh, average volume um, uh, in, the, in the, the gray shading. And then it shows each of the transactions where we've been able to use our share to acquire ships in a way that increased our market cap, increased our liquidity, uh, increased our public float. Um, and these were companies that wanted our share at net asset value. This is almost half of our fleet was acquired this way. It was 58 ships uh, since the beginning of 2019. Um, and that included a Norwegian company, a German company, an Italian company, uh, an American company, um, you know, it, it's uh, really unheard of from uh, uh, the, you know, for for a Greek Greek based shipping company. It's the first time this has been done. Uh, next slide, Eleni. So, um, uh, why don't I let Simo Spiru, our co chief financial officer, take this slide? Thank you, Hamis. This uh, slide shows our uh, focus on operational excellence. Uh, we operate a fleet with one of the lowest average daily operating expenses among our peers without at the same time compromising on quality. For the first nine months of 2021, our operating expenses were at $4,282 per day per vessel, running number one on, with the lowest cost among any of our peers. Net cash GNA expenses per vessel per day were slightly above $1,000 per day per vessel for the same period. At the same time, we are consistently in the top five dry bulk operators amongst our peer group in the right ship ratings. And you can see both uh, the cost uh, on the 
bottom side of the graph, left bottom side of the graph, and the right ship ranking for the end September 2021 period uh, in this slide. Eleni, if you can move to the next slide. And why don't you take that as well? Okay, this is basically showing our improvement of uh, the balance sheet, of our balance sheet during the last uh, uh, two years. Uh, we have a very uh, healthy liquidity and competitive financing. Our cash balance, as Jaime said earlier, at the end of December 2021 was at 474 million, and our total debt and lease obligations at uh, 1.56 billion. Uh, we had a working capital of 80 million as of Q3 2021, and an annual amortization profile for our uh, debt of slightly above 200 million uh, per annum. We have currently five debt-free vessels, and we have zero debt maturities until uh, the end of the third quarter of 2023. On the recent development side, uh, we have uh, paid uh, $2.25 per share in dividends over the last 12 months. We have completed four refinancings, refinancings which raised approximately 400 million in senior debt and resulted in interest savings of approximately 5 million per annum. Our pro forma average margin stands at about 2.4% for our entire debt. On the bottom side of the graph, you can see clearly uh, how our uh, net debt adjusted for the latest acquisitions has been reduced by approximately 35% during the last two years, while our cash and liquidity on the same time has increased by approximately 277%. Eleni, moving to the next slide. Yes. Uh, yeah, why don't you take that also? Okay, basically on this side, we slide, we are showing our minimal uh, CAPEX requirements uh, for 2022. Uh, we have on the graph uh, the dry docks, the ballast water treatment uh, installations, and the energy saving devices that uh, we have agreed to install uh, during the year. Although the uh, dry docks are not uh, capitalized, actually they are expensed, but we are showing here that we have 12.3 uh, uh, million of dry docks for Q1, 6.3 uh, for Q2, 4.5 for Q3, and 3.1 million for Q4. Uh, the ballast water treatment and the, uh, the energy saving devices are capitalized at their actual capex. We have 8.7 million for the first quarter, 0.4 million uh, of uh, energy saving devices. And then respectively for the second quarter, 3.8 million of uh, ballast water treatments, 1.8 million of a, a uh, energy saving devices, and then uh, figures are minimal for uh, Q3 and Q4. And we have uh, also uh, here at the bottom uh, a budget, actually the approximation of uh, off-hire days for the installation and the, uh, of the ballast water treatments and the dry docks for the year. We 
we estimate 340 days of of hires for the first quarter, 176 days of hires for the second quarter, 129 for the third quarter, and slightly below 100 days for the fourth quarter. So yeah, yeah. So so our dividend policy is is very transparent. It's a bit complex. Uh, it's getting simpler. Uh, so basically, for Q3, that we've given an example, we had a total cash balance at the end of the quarter of 371.7 million. We had a minimum cash balance per vessel at the end of the third quarter of 1.9 million per vessel, which you can see is part of our policy on the right. We had 128 vessels, so 128 times 1.9 is 243.2. Subtract 243.2 from 371.7, you get a declared dividend of 128.5 million. Number of shares 102.288 works out to a dividend per share of $1.25. Um, and you know, our dividend policy has uh, switched to the next bucket of minimum cash per vessel, 2.1 million for Q4 and thereafter and uh you know we have announced that we have 474 million of cash on the balance sheet for december 31 so that calculation is is fairly straightforward to make uh we're not going to make it for you because that's uh, you know the board's uh, uh prerogative but i think you've got the data to make that calculation for yourself um, Eleni, uh, next slide. So operating leverage and cash flow potential. So uh, basically, if you look at um, our um, daily time charter equivalent rate, you can project that for any given quarter. And we've, we've made a box around the one at 23,500 per day. Um, we've calculated based on our break-even that that would result in 4.9 million of free cash flow per share. And uh, the uh, free cash flow yield, um, you know, would be 22% of today's share price. Um, and, you know, that's basically the dividend yield at today's share price with that charter rate uh, on a quarterly basis. And you can see that at you know 31,000 a day charter rate across the fleet, uh, it's not quite double that at 37% cash flow yield um, and uh, $8.2 of free cash flow per share. But even at 16,000 a day, it's pretty respectable at a 7% free cash flow yield on the share. Uh, next slide, please. So we are very active uh, trying to lead the way, uh, setting uh, uh, standards for the industry. Uh, we've joined the Maritime Anti-Corruption Network, which you can read about there. We've participated in drafting the Poseidon Principles for Marine Insurance, uh, which is an initiative by the Global Maritime Forum to basically 
align the uh, insurance portfolios with responsible environmental impact. Uh, we're a member of the Getting to Zero Coalition. We're, we're a signatory of the call to action for shipping decarbonization. And we're actively participating in sponsoring the next wave green corridors report. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, being one of the leaders in zero carbon shipping. Um, and, you know, we'll have more to report on that hopefully soon. Uh, next slide. So uh, again, this is on greenhouse gas issues and, uh, and other uh, ESG reporting. Uh, we, we publish an annual uh, ESG report, which discloses our carbon footprint and the carbon intensity of our fleet. Um, we share the carbon intensity data of our fleet uh, with our stakeholders um, through the Poseidon principles and the sea cargo charter. Um, we participate in the carbon disclosure product project. Uh, we have sustainable linked loan facilities where we have specific commitments uh, to comply with carbon intensity targets. Um, we employ telemetry ac across our fleet, which allows us to accurately monitor in real time the energy efficiency and the CO2 emissions of our vessels. Um, you know, we, we employ a dedicated in-house R&D team um, to examine new technologies, um, and we pilot new software and hardware technologies uh, to optimize our voyages, uh, optimize our, our, uh, our, our carbon emissions. Uh, it's something we take extremely seriously. Uh, our CEO takes it seriously. I take it very seriously. Um, we spend a lot of time on this. And you're welcome to download our third ESG report. Um, yes, Eleni, in the next slide. Uh, so with this market overview, let me have uh, Constantino Cimentiros, who's our head of market research, among other things, take, take us through the market section. Wow, thank you, Hamish. Um, so uh, for the market overview, I'll, I'll start with the three graphs on the right, where you can see that during 2021, there was a very strong increase uh, among all three uh, key sectors, uh, driver sectors with freight rates uh, for Capes averaging 33,000, Panamax 25,000, and Supramax at 26,000 for the full year. Um, these are levels that we haven't seen for uh, more than a decade and are extremely profitable. Uh, looking into uh, 2022 and 2023, fundamentals fleet growth is set to decrease significantly, while demand uh, for driver commodity is expected to continue to grow at a healthy pace. Uh, the IMF uh, forecast uh, global GDP to grow by 4.9% in 2022 while Clarkson's ex expects uh, healthy demand across all dry bulk uh, commodity groups uh, and resulting uh, up to approximately 2.2% growth uh, after factoring in also longer distances. So it's in ton miles uh, terms. Um, finally, finally uh, the strength that we're seeing in the container markets uh, should continue to support uh, minor bulks and uh, dry bulk volumes through Cascade. 
at least for the next couple of years, one to two years. Uh, then focusing on the supply side, uh, we, as Hamish mentioned in the beginning, we have the most favorable supply dynamic in uh, almost three decades. Uh, there are new emission regulations uh, and uncertainty for on future vessel propulsion technology that is keeping new ordering under control. Uh, the order book stands at 25-year lows, uh, and fleet growth uh, over the next two years is bound to correct to record low levels, probably below 2%. Uh, and finally, there are trade inefficiencies and uh, increasing bunker costs that are expected to continue to, to further reduce uh, effective fleet uh, capacity. Uh, let's move to the next slide. Uh, here, we, here we have uh, the four key categories. Uh, we expect a healthy demand growth uh, across all commodity groups, uh, despite the impact uh, of new COVID uh, uh, variants and the repeated downward uh, revisions of GDP growth forecast during the last year. Um, we highlight here that over the last decade, iron ore ton miles have grown by 3.3% per annum, coal trade by 2.6% per annum, grain trade by 5.1% per annum, and minor bulks by 3.5% per annum. Uh, focusing on the short to medium term, we're still at, we, we believe that we're still at the early stages of the global reopening from COVID and restocking uh, of all dryback uh, commodities uh, will support import, import growth uh, uh, in, uh, over the next two years. Furthermore, we believe that increased exports from the Atlantic will have a very beneficial effect uh, on ton miles and uh, will further uh, enhance inefficiencies. Next slide. Uh, then uh, here is a simple slide uh, highlighting uh, how that the order book is at 25-year lows. We over the last one year it has stayed at seven percent, approximately seven percent. It's worth showing uh, where the order book was in 2008-2009 when it almost reached 80% of the uh, fleet on the water. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, here we show, we highlight the, that despite the very strong market, freight market that uh, we mentioned two slides ago that uh, during 2021, ordering has been kept under control uh, due to several factors. One of these factors is that the, the uncertainty related to future propulsion uh, and the upcoming environmental regulations. This is uh, something that uh, makes uh, the supply picture extremely bullish for the next few years. Uh, let's move, and then let's please move to the next slide. And uh, this is the result of the low order book and uh, low ordering. As you will see, fleet growth uh, over the next two years and into 2023 uh, experienced a sharp decline, and we we should drop below uh, 2%, and that's with assumptions of a relatively uh, low to non-existent scrapping. Um, next slide, please. Furthermore, uh, the, the effective fleet capacity may be further reduced uh, as a large portion of the fleet is uh, non-fuel efficient, and the only way to decrease fuel consumption and emission without incurring capex is to reduce sailing speeds. Uh, we'll highlight that approximately 60 to 65% of the fleet uh, is uh, non-eco and non, uh, not uh, fuel efficient. 
And uh, uh, on the bottom gra graph, we show the evolution of steaming speed over the last one and a half year, and would uh, highlight that for every one not uh, decrease in speed, that would result in a decrease of uh, effective supply of approximately 6%. Uh, let's move to the next slide, please. And here I uh, would like to we would like to highlight that um, as food fuel prices and spreads increase, owners of uh, inefficient vessels will be compelled to decrease sailing speeds, and vessels equipped with scrubbers will deliver superior economic performance. On the top graph, uh, I would like to highlight that uh, the fuel spread between HSFO and VLSFO at the end of 2019 was at $300 at the beginning before the IMO 2020 regulation came into effect. Then COVID uh, happened, uh, spreads uh, and oil prices uh, collapsed. Uh, uh, the spread went down to $50. This has moved higher. Today, we are at a level close to $200. Uh, and it will, it's uh, interesting to highlight that uh, Starbuck has been able to date to generate uh, 200 million of scrubber savings. And uh, on the basis of uh, the current forward curve and our estimated annual consumption uh, on bunker fuels, uh, we should generate approximately 94 million of scrubber savings every year. And for every $20 per ton increase, in the spread, uh, this would uh, add and uh, would uh, generate additional savings of 40 million per annum. Um, and with that, we conclude our presentation and we can move to the Q&A. Yes, and we've got some questions. So uh, uh, one question that came in, if you were inclined to purchase vessels in the secondary market, what class and size of vessels would you prefer? And you know the, the answer to that is we really like our fleet composition. Uh, it's diversified in what we think is just about the ideal way, giving us access to pretty much all of the dry bulk cargoes in the industry. And you know, uh, if we could acquire a fleet just like ours for shares issued at NAV, especially given that we're trading at a small discount to NAV we would jump at the chance to do it. Uh, we, we probably would not be acquiring vessels for cash, but if we could do it for shares, if we could acquire our existing fleet, you know, a sister company, we would jump at the chance. Um, <clears throat> next question I see is, how do you expect new environmental regulations to affect shipping in the years to come? Um, it's gonna be a very positive effect, uh, we think. Uh, basically, a um, couple of things. One is that for 2030, you want a ship that is either a very low carbon ship or a zero carbon ship by design. And you can't buy that ship today. Uh, in two years, maybe you'll be able to order such a ship. But, um, you know, what this is doing is it's suppressing new building orders because people know that they can't get the technology that they want in a new building ship yet. Uh, and the other thing is with the older ships, as, uh, as Constantino Cimentira said, it's gonna make them go slower because going slow is the way to save fuel. Um, you know, you go a little bit slower, you burn a lot less fuel. Uh, but of course, if you're going slow to meet the environmental regulations, that means that the carrying capacity of the fleet is reduced. 
And that means basically that charter rates go up. So we think it's gonna cause charter rates to go up. We think it's gonna keep new buildings down. Um, you know, we are all in favor of more environmental regulations, more stringent environmental regulations. We think it's also gonna favor large companies who have the ability to pay for uh, the, the costs of compliance. And of course, we are, you know, just about the largest uh, dry bulk company. So it should favor us um, and not so much our smaller peers. What are our capital allocation priorities going forwards? Um, our main priorities for the time being are to pay down debt and to pay dividends. And that is what we are doing. We are paying down our debt. Uh, we, we are not taking on additional debt at the moment. And we are paying, you know, very substantial dividends. Um, and, you know, I, I would expect that the, the dividend we declare for the fourth quarter uh, will be right in line with, with uh, what people expect in terms of large dividends. Um, we are not intending to buy ships at the moment for cash. Although, as I said, if we can buy fleets with our shares, uh, we would jump to do that. Um, you know, what, what differentiates Starbulk from its peers? Um, you know, I, we have some fine peers. Uh, so given that, why should investors buy our shares? Uh, well, first of all, we have the largest market cap and liquidity, which can be very important if you're if you want to assemble a big block, we have excellent chartering results. Uh, 120 of our 128 ships have scrubbers, which adds significantly to our time charter revenue, as as Constantino Cimentiras pointed out. We have the lowest operating expense per vessel per day among our peers. We have the lowest overhead per vessel per day, leading to just about the lowest cash flow break even per vessel per day while being ranked first among peers in industry safety rankings. You know, other dry bulk companies are proposing to pay dividends, but we believe that our dividends will be greater. Uh, we have over 46,000 ownership days in 2022. So for every thousand a day uh, of time charter equivalent revenue per ship over our all in break even of about 11,000 per day, we earn an extra $46.7 million. Uh, and what will keep time charter rates high, more regulation and more decarbonization. Uh, we're the largest listed uh, dry bulk company in the US. So the, the, the more regulations, the tougher the regulations, uh, the more difficult, therefore, the regulations are to comply with, and therefore, the bigger our advantage as a large company. Most dry bulk companies don't have the size needed to be able to afford all the regulatory compliance functions uh, that we think will become increasingly necessary. And, you know, we're, we're looking at, 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 you know, piloting zero carbon ships uh, as soon as we can. Uh, let's see, could we expect a super cycle from 2023 to 2030 due to all the known variables of the order book 
to fleet EEXI, CII, and design uh, a vessel uncertainty. So Constantino Cimentiris, you want to take the supercycle question? Ah, okay, so that's uh, that's uh, definitely a, a difficult question. We are extremely optimistic for the next decade. Uh, if we compare it to the early 2000s, back then we had uh, a, a demand-driven supercycle. We do believe that this decade we might see a supply-driven uh, strong cycle. I don't want to name it a supercycle, but it's, we will have huge renewal uh, needs for the fleet and uh, we don't think that the capacity the shipyard capacity is there we need to highlight that uh, the, the the boom that's happening on container ship is taking a lot of uh, uh, shipyard capacity uh, demand will continue to expand uh, so we are we remain we are very optimistic for the next uh, several years Okay, and then another question, what is your outlook for iron ore and coal shipments? Any concern about China growth? What impact would an export ban of Indonesian coal have on the market? Recent rate volatility, is that normal seasonality? Okay, I think that's, can, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's uh, four questions actually. Well, iron ore and coal shipments, uh, our outlook for for 2022 is uh, is uh, very very positive. Obviously, uh, in the in the short term, uh, there there are headwinds. Uh, there are there is the Indonesian ban that has affected the coal exports from Indonesia. However, this has been uh, already been uh, lifted, and we expect that by February we'll see uh, a return of uh, in uh, full on uh, full volumes. At the same time, we had uh, rains affecting uh, Brazil iron ore during the last few days, and this has uh, affected the operations. Uh, again, this is uh, short-term uh, negative, but at the same time should inflate uh, the the rest of the year. Uh, and this makes us uh, extremely uh, positive. Uh, generally, uh, we are now, um, the market balance right now is quite good, especially for the smaller sizes. If, if you look at the rates uh, for what is normally a weak period uh, in terms of seasonality. Um, and uh, I think that um, demand, it's important to highlight that uh, although we had uh, China experiencing a strong slowdown during the second half of last year, uh, demand from the rest of the world made up a lot of it, of the, this shortfall. And uh, we expect uh, that uh, China will ramp up demand uh, after the Chinese New Year and Winter Olympics. And we are extremely confident uh, on that. Okay, so then we've got two questions more or less identical on whether we expect slow steaming if oil prices continue to rise. Uh, shouldn't it effectively reduce capacity and thus provide a floor to rates, i.e. higher lows? And the answer is yes, we do expect that with higher oil prices, uh, unless charter rates go up, uh, that there will be slower movement of the fleet and reduction of fleet capacity. Uh, basically, the, the profit maximizing speed uh, is inversely proportional to the cube root of the oil price. So if the oil price doubles, you know, your, your speed is divided by the cube root of two. Um, 
so yes, uh, what, what, what actually seems to happen is that charter rates go up uh, when oil prices rise in order to keep the movement of cargoes going. But I mean, that's just as good, right? Uh, that, that makes everybody just as happy unless they're cargo owners. Um, your fleet seems weighted towards larger vessels is the next question or focused on the major bulks. Any thought on expanding exposure to minor bulk market? Um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's not as focused on the larger vessels as you might think. Uh, if you look at it weighted by deadweight tonnage, yes, it's, you know, majority Cape and Newcastle max. But, you know, if you look at it ship by ship, it's, it's actually majority Supermax, Ultramax and, and Camser max uh, by a fair margin. And uh, so, uh, frankly, in, in recently, uh, we've been getting a majority of our revenue from non-Cape ships. And, uh, you know, we've been getting a lot of revenue from, from minor bulk. So it, it's actually more diversified than you might think. Um, and here is a question, I think, for Constantino Cimentiris. Uh, thoughts on new building prices today, as well as steel and labor costs impact on new building prices? Well, thoughts. Uh, well, definitely uh, new building costs uh, over the last uh, two years have increased substantially, especially steel, price, steel prices. Um, this has uh, a, a trim into profit margins of uh, shipyards and in a way provides down, downward uh, downside protection. Um, so yeah, we are in an inflationary environment uh, and uh, uh, this is likely to support uh, dry bulk asset values and especially of uh, modern, uh, modern eco fuel efficient tonnage. We should also highlight that the shipyards are focusing on other types of vessels like containers uh, that are significantly more profitable. So this is something uh, that we find very uh, positive uh, for uh, the asset value environment. Okay, so then we get a question. Uh, how is Starbuck looking to employ future cash flow? Are dividends more of a priority today than strengthening the balance sheet? And I, the answer to that question is we are doing both um, and you know obviously they're somewhat in conflict but you know we're paying down uh, well over 200 million dollars of debt per year uh, Simos Spiru what, what's the more exact figure of debt we're paying down per year 207 okay yeah good so it's 207 of debt pay down per year. And basically the rest is going to dividends. Um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to set a, set a balance. Uh, our balance sheet is already pretty strong. Um, uh, let's see, scrubbers are a defensive technology shielding a fuel falling out of favor and is an economic, not an environmental greenhouse gas reduction. Given the ever tighter CO2 regulations, are not both scrubber and non-scrubber vessels slowing to reduce fuel, thus lower carbon? Please comment. Okay, so yes, 
scrubbers are very helpful in removing sulfur from the exhaust gas stream. And in fact, if scrubbers had not been available in January of 2020, it would have been impossible to provide enough low sulfur fuel at the beginning of 2020 to fuel the entire fleet of, of, of the world's shipping uh, and, and, and meet demand. Um, and you know, at, at the moment, what the scrubbers are doing is obviously, as you, as you point out, giving us a big economic advantage. They don't address CO2 one way or the other. CO2 is addressed through uh, slower speeds, through uh, better paint, uh, you know, hull fouling is among the most important things that a shipping company can do to uh, reduce its carbon emissions. The more hull fouling you've got, the more fuel you burn, and it's shocking how much more fuel you can burn if your hull is fouled. So paints are very important. Uh, hull cleaning robots are very important. Uh, we're looking at something called ultrasonic anti-fouling which is a technology that may keep fouling from, from occurring in the first place. Um, we are measuring the performance of our ships uh, very carefully with sensors and very sophisticated uh, computer programs incorporating artificial intelligence as well as uh, uh, naval architecture uh, type calculations. And we're using that measured uh, ship performance to optimize our route and the speeds over that, that route based on the ship performance and the weather and the currents that the ship uh, encounters. And, uh, you know, just to give you an idea, keeping your hull clean uh, can save you 40% of your fuel. It's just astonishing um, how much you can save by keeping your hull clean. And if you then optimize the route and speed, you can save another 10%. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a big deal and we're devoting a lot of time and uh, resources to that. Uh, Starbulk trades at a discount to NAV, how much do you have remaining in your buyback program? We have $40 million roughly remaining in our authorized buyback program. And, uh, you know, if we see good opportunities to uh, sell a couple of ships at a good price and use the proceeds to buy back stock, uh, in effect, substantially cheaper and take that arbitrage, we will do it. So why would a growth or a value investor consider Starbuck versus other industries, including crypto or the S&P? I would say that a growth investor, you know, might, I mean, growth. Shipping is not what you would typically consider a growth industry. It's growing with the world economy, not growing much faster. Uh, but, you know, if you're a value investor, uh, my God, you know, crypto and the S&P are pretty frightening if you're a value investor. And, you know, shipping looks like a pretty good value play to us at the moment. Um, we are, after all, trading, you know, below the 
liquidation value. I mean, uh, and you know, with with all of the advantages we provide uh, relative to a bare hull, uh, you know, we we think that's crazy. So, any updates for Constantino Cimentiras on Brazilian flooding and impacts to iron ore exports? Well, um, there is no major update uh, on uh, uh, the the numbers, so this is relatively new. We'll probably have uh, more details over the next few days. Uh, it's definitely not uh, something similar to what happened a couple of years ago. Yeah. So do you see consolidation in the sector with smaller companies being acquired? You know, you know as, as you can see from our presentation, we've done, I think, most of the consolidation that's happened in the dry bulk industry. And it's, it accounts for about half of our fleet. Uh, so we're, we're good at it. Um, that being said, it's really difficult. It's the, you know, these deals, we see many, many, many more possibilities than we end up closing. Um, and in a better market, um, you would think it would become easier to do, but of course the sellers have higher expectations. And so that adds to the challenge. Um, you know, I, hard to say. Well, yeah. Can I add uh, one sure. more thing before, because I see Nicholas uh, has joined, so we're probably at the 45-minute uh, mark. Yeah. Uh, and I saw some of the question. I think it's also important to highlight that although the market has corrected the last few weeks, um, especially on the larger sizes, that uh, Starbuck has been proactive on its chartering strategy. And uh, we have, as every year, we have tried to cover a significant percentage mm -hmm. of uh, Q1 just as a closing remark mm -hmm. so nicholas have we hit have we hit our limit regrettably we have i mean this has been a great presentation and a particularly uh, interesting discussion you have so many questions submitted uh but we are at the limit so maybe if you would like to give a very brief closing remark i would be grateful if we can uh well, look, I mean, we're very high on the prospects of Starbulk, as you can see. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we, we hope you are too. Well, I'd like to thank all of you for participating. It has been a great uh, session. And uh, this will be also available as an archive for anyone who would like to come back and uh, listen to it in, uh, in more detail. Again, thank you to the Starbulk team for um, joining. And thank you, of course, to the uh, participants who made it such a great uh, success. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah.